This is the Negro League Podcast with Preach James. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Negro League Podcast. I go by the name of Preach Jacobs. Thank you guys for listening. You can uh, also check out our sponsor at MoBetterSoul at MoBetterSoul.com for your clothing needs. Um, please support a black-owned business. And by black-owned business, I mean me. So when y'all like these shirts, I'd be wearing in my pictures and stuff like that. Get it. I know um, 2020 has been a pain in the ass. Um, and I, I didn't think I was going to do another pod before the end of the year because I know you guys are doing all this stuff for the holidays. Um, but... Uh, I have a returning person on this podcast that hasn't been on here, I don't know, maybe in over a year uh, that I thought would be really, really important to have her voice. Uh, if you're here, please introduce yourself, young lady. Hello, hello. I am Dr. Carrie, officially Dr. Carrie Claudia Allen, um, but I go by Dr. Carrie. Thank you so much. Let me just say first for having me back because this is always a good time. <laughs> Dr. Carrie is always a good time. Um, I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. Um, I love your work with the free times. And so when you um, reached out to me to get on here again, I was like, yep, let's do it like ASAP. Well, well I appreciate it. And, and you know, if it wasn't the crazy year that we would have had, uh, I would have had you in here interviewing you in person, giving you a high five and a hug. But, you know, <laughs> based yeah. on 2020, uh, things have been really, really funky. So we're doing this via the phone. Um, I'm glad we're not doing via Zoom because, look, I ain't have a haircut since February. So <laughs> so that nobody needs to Listen. see. <laughs> I went to get my hair done because um, I did a photo shoot like two months ago. Mm-hmm. And... Every mask was like down around the chin, and I was like, "I'm not coming back." Exactly. So <laughs> I've turned into a hairstylist this year as well. Yo, I, I think that anybody that's applying for the job for a job now, 2020 make you like really, really proficient in knowing how to use these programs. Whether it's Zoom, whether Everything. it's yeah, yeah, you know, we used to lie on our applications when we act like we can do Excel sheets and shit like that. But now I think everybody is is uh, have a little experience in being like an AV coordinator or whatever that the term is. So you know, shout yeah. out to people building up their skills during the pandemic. Shout out to the homies rocking nothing but sweatpants for the last nine months and um. Yeah. So so for, for the people that are joining us for the first time, tell us who you are, what you do. Okay, awesome. So I am a board certified practicing family medicine physician here mm-hmm. in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I'm also an assistant professor of family medicine. So I teach um, PA students, medical students, and resident physicians mm-hmm. um, at the University of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I deliver babies, and that. when I have lots and lots of free time, which, you know, of course I do, um, I'm also a budding entrepreneur and um, own a business, Dr. Carey, um, for wellness um, and holistic approaches just to life, health, and strength. So um, you guys can find me at on IG at Dr. Carey, M-D, D-R-K-A-R-I-M-D. Um, or drcarrymb.com. So, yep, I'm out here on the front lines. Um, I do what we call inpatient and outpatient medicine. So I'm in the hospital 
um, multiple times a year, taking care of sick folks in the hospital um, and then also outpatient. So that's like what you would think of when you just get an appointment and go see your regular doctor. Um, so I'm doing both. Um, and we're definitely seeing COVID everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the scariest part is the asymptomatic COVID patients. Absolutely. You know, where you are with the patient and you're spending this time with them, you're doing the exams, you're talking for 20 minutes. Um, and then, you know, they go get a test randomly um, or you decide to test for maybe one symptom or something like that. And they come back positive And then it's like, okay, what do we do with this now? So there's been a lot of that, but there have been a lot of um, symptomatic folks. Um, You know, I've taken care of whole families that have gotten it after Thanksgiving and after a birthday party or a baby shower. So it's real. Yeah. Well, I I think this is one of the great reasons why I wanted to have you on here Um, because I've seen a lot of disinformation and a lot of, you know, black paranoia, which is is kind of funny, right? Because there's a column that I'm working on that I want you to be a part of as well. And this conversation would definitely help where I always think it's hilarious when I see some cross pollination with two groups of people that you never think will be in the same boat. And what I mean by that is if I look at, you know, black folks and then you look at, you know, the, 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 the white folks that are like, anti-government and anti all this gun-wielding guys, the cross-pollination comes in where they're like, don't trust the government. We don't fucking trust the government with anything. So, like, there's these rare moments where you will see, like, the guys at the MAGA rallies and a lot of black people agreeing with the same thing as if, oh, there's a vaccine. I don't trust it, you know? So I think first right. I think first and foremost, what I definitely, and this, this might seem really, really silly, but, I, you know, I really want it to be broken down to like the simplest levels and kind of move on. Like I saw uh, one of my favorite producers, Pete Rock. Sometimes he gets on social media and he drives me fucking crazy with some of the stuff that he said. And he's basically like, you know, why are they giving a vaccine to people that aren't sick? That makes no sense. And everybody's like, well, this is what a vaccine does, you know. So I guess in the simplest yeah. form of terms, right, from a doctor, yeah. you know, and, and as you said, you're not a virologist, right? Is that the, is that the, the terminology for someone that's yeah, okay. that's the terminology. But I do. But I do feel you got the vaccine. And I want to from from a very elementary perspective, please explain to our two listeners <laughs> the, the concept of a vaccine so we can get that out the way. Yeah. So first things first. A vaccine is always about prevention. Mm -hmm. So it is for healthy people who have not gotten sick yet or who may have gotten sick with it in the past but aren't sick right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of like how we tell you, regardless of um, anything, get your flu shot every year to prevent getting the flu. Um, Get your measles shot. We're giving kids, um, you know, kids get vaccines every year. We give kids chicken pox vaccine now. And I'm like, wait. Kids literally don't even get the chicken pox anymore. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I thought that was like a rite of passage. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and so that's the whole point. To vaccinate means to give a healthy person a an introduction to a piece of a virus so that their body can then produce an immune response when they come into contact with it later. Yeah. So for the, for the for the most part, like if if we're grown ass people that went through public schools and stuff like that, we've gotten a vaccination at, at some point in time yeah. before. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, 
Like, when's the last time you heard your homie dealing with polio? Right? You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I, so, so, so that was the thing that really kind of just drove me crazy. Where a lot of people that were really, really gung ho to be anti that, I'm like, we've all had a vaccine, uh, a vaccination. We've all had something yeah. to that extent, especially if we went to a public school. And you know, and sometimes, you know, you would hear parents that are anti. Uh, vacciners and that type of thing and it's like you know I, mm-hmm. I'm in no moral position to teach people how to parent the kids I don't have any kids but but the touch on it not being uncommon is uh, you know that's the first thing I wanted to establish secondly you got the vaccination could you tell us about the process that you went through to get the COVID vaccination yes so um, the FDA authorized uh, just yesterday they authorized the Moderna vaccination um, uh, last week they authorized the Pfizer and it's like an emergency authorization. So right now it is only available to healthcare workers. Um, so at my hospital, they're going through tears. So the people who are on the front lines and like to actively taking care of COVID patients or possible COVID patients are the ones getting the vaccine first. Um, so I had to sign up through um, a portal through the CDC and then go in for the appointment. They take all your history. So they mm-hmm. want to know everything that has ever happened to you medically, um, any allergies. They want to know everything. Have you ever reacted weird to a vaccine you've had in the past, all that. So you fill out a whole bunch of paperwork. So it's like 30 minutes. Um, and then they pull you in the back and it was very quick. So um, I went right up to a nurse's station and she had everything there. So one, one thing that's important to know um, with this vaccine, the vials are large enough and have enough medicine in them or enough vaccine in them um, for six doses. Okay. So she, so there was only a little bit left in the vial when I was there because I was the sixth dose. So I was the very last one. So she drew it up to 0.3 uh, milliliters, and it was just a very tiny amount. Um, and it was a very, very tiny syringe, cleaned off my, um, my upper arm with alcohol and then injected me. When I tell you it was half a second and I didn't even know I had been injected because it was so easy and it was it was so so little volume that it really didn't hurt at all. Right. Um so she popped the band-aid on and you have to wait for about 20, 15 to 20 minutes um in this holding area to make sure you don't have any reaction. So they have medical personnel all around EpiPens um, blood pressure cuffs, like all the things you would need for an emergency response in the event that one of us had a severe reaction. Um, so while I was there, there were probably about 15 of us in the holding area at a time after getting the injection. And I didn't see anybody have any type of reaction. We all waited, you know, on our phones, on our little IG or whatever. And then after 20 minutes, we left. Um, I've talked to a bunch of people. I'm in like, you know, Facebook, you know, you have your private groups and um, I'm in some physician-only groups for a lot of people who've gotten the vaccine in the last couple days, and we were all just sharing stories of um, how we felt 24 to 48 hours later, and almost everybody said they just had had a little bit of a sore arm. Yeah. Um, so for me, I monitored my symptoms really closely because I wanted to be aware of any change that I had, um, and all I did, it took about four hours for my arm to get sore. Um, 
it was sore enough that I took a Tylenol just to kind of go to sleep last night, but it wasn't really bad at all. And it's only like when I lift my arm all the way up. Um, and when I woke up this morning, still a little soreness by noon, it was gone completely. Like, I feel like nothing happened. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, is there, I guess the best way to kind of ask this without getting you in any issues or whatever, but I've, I've been kind of vocal as a journalist about, um, my disappointment in some of the responses, uh, government wise based on how they've been handling the pandemic. Right. So I, you know, outside of writing for the paper, I also, you know, work part-time at a record store and, Mm -hmm. and we're pretty, you know, from what we hear, we're pretty gangster with how we handle it. Like we, we have, um, a limited number of people that come in the store. We we make sure they have to wear a mask. We make sure they have to use hand sanitizer when they walk in. And a lot of times people are getting really, really pissed about it. And 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 I can understand why in the sense of there's no state mandate. There's no mask mandate. There's nothing like that. So a lot of times, you know, some of people a lot of times are uh, nonchalant based on the leadership that comes from above. So when the governor is basically like really, really, you know, just really dismissive. He's like, just wash your hands and, you know, don't call yeah. on people. It, it, it gets, it gets infuriating, <laughs> especially after his wife tested positive for COVID right. last night. Um, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing as far as not only people that are contracting COVID, but stuff that you see that can be easily prevented or numbers can go down by just simple methods. And is there anything that you're seeing that's affecting black folks in the South Carolina area that you're dealing with more so um, than others and what could be the cause of that? Yeah. So, you know, I'm glad you bring up this point because I've never in my life seen um, a mask or an infection, a a virus be politicized. Mm -hmm. So I've been confused like literally the whole 2020. (laughs) Exactly. If we know that there is something in the air that can be transmitted between folks just by talking um, at a normal distance, then why is it a political statement to wear a mask or not? Yeah, Um, I'm very matter of fact. I'm very politically engaged. And I will say that we need a mask mandate. Absolutely. We needed a mask mandate in March. Um, And we know from the science that if everyone had been wearing a mask with every time, you know, intimate contact outside of their home since March, we would have saved thousands of lives, maybe hundreds of thousands at this point. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not afraid to say that and to expect that of people. What I will say is that I think a lot of us were more scared in March and April because it was new. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've gotten what we call uh, basically pandemic fatigue, yeah. where people are tired of being cooped up in the house. People are wanting to go back in, you know, in dining, in indoor dining and all these things. And people are getting more lax. Yeah. Um, you know, people are wearing the mask under, you know, not even covering their nose or under their chin or not wearing masks at all. Um, and it's I think it, there's a psychological thing because. You know, you look at other countries and I guess the, the girl that was in the Cayman Islands is in jail. Yeah. Um, just for visiting back, you know, to Georgia. And you look at other countries where they have the uh, the law enforcement behind the social distancing and the, the contact tracing and the mask wearing. And so I do believe that 
there are some people, you know, at the top in South Carolina who want to do the right thing. Um, but I definitely feel like there's been some political pressure um, around having these mandates and, and the shutdown and just the restrictiveness, you know, of movement, period. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest with you, and I was I said this earlier to someone, I love the freedoms of being an American, but I think that our freedoms um, and our entitlement has truly hurt us and killed us um, in this pandemic. Yeah, I, I, I totally, I totally agree. And, and the amount of um, Karening that I've seen where you get like, you know, a lot of angry white folks oh, yeah. and a lot of angry white women, you know, it, especially during the holiday season. It's like people are already entitled during the holiday season if they want something right now, if they want a gift for somebody and all this type of stuff. Then add the pandemic. And one of the things that I, I always thought was really interesting is that I deal with working at the record store is that if you have a certain group of people that already hate someone telling them, quote unquote, what to do, because somehow, some way, saying wear a mask is like, you know, it's, it's like stepping on the flag somehow. But it's even yeah. worse when, you know, it comes from a black guy at the record store and say, hey, could you put your mask on? And that type of vitriol that you get, that look from, mm-hmm. not only is it bad enough that somebody's telling you what to do, but you're telling me what to do? It it becomes yeah. it becomes a, the, the scariest thing possible. And I, and I really hate the fact that it's that, you know, there's people that are affected by it even if they didn't adopt these ideas. Like, so for an example, you know, one of the biggest political things that I remember was when Herman Cain went to that Trump rally. And and it wasn't the fact that they weren't just wearing, they weren't wearing masks. That wasn't just the issue. It was the fact that they were so cavalier about showing how they weren't wearing masks. And then he dies. And right. and what I think about is I'm not just thinking about the people that don't want to wear a mask, right? Like I was driving to work and I took a picture of this woman's had a bumper sticker. So of course she had the Trump Pence sticker and right below that she had an anti-mask sticker. It was literally like a drawing of a mask with a whole X going through it. And yeah. and people are like, well, if people don't want to wear their mask and, you know, natural selection, let them kill themselves off. But it's not that simple because if it, it's not just the people that, are nonchalant about the mask issues that are going to be affected by it. It's when I right. thought when I thought of the Trump rally that Herman Cain went to, I'm thinking about who are those people that have to clean those restrooms? Who are those people that have to work in those right. kitchens that might be doing everything in their power to wear their mask, but still might get affected? You know what I mean? And so, oh yeah, and that's listen. <laughs> there's so many layers to this, right? Like, mm-hmm. where do we even start? It's affecting black people more because black people are the ones who are exposed to more people on any given basis, just like you said. I mean, we think about frontline workers, but that's not just doctors that, you know, if they're not shutting down restaurants and they're not shutting down these places of business, the people who are cooking and who are the cashiers and, and the you know, the folks at the grocery store they are overwhelmingly us. Yeah. And so we don't have the luxury for most of us to sit at home and work from home and be on Zoom calls all day. I mean, that in and of itself, as exhausted as people are from their Zoom calls, is a privilege. Absolutely. Most Black folks, especially, you know, folks who are in the working class, have to have 
contact with the public on a regular, if not an everyday basis, mm -hmm. in one or two or three jobs that they work. Yeah. And so, yes, you're right. You know, because the thing about these surgical masks is that, um, you know, it's most efficacious if you're wearing one and I'm wearing one and we're six feet apart. But if you're closer to me than that, you don't have one on and I do, that's the minimal amount of protection, you know, yeah. that without us both not wearing masks. And so, yeah, we are the ones who um, have that face-to-face -face, face -face contact, who have that exposure, whether it's I, our ideology or not. Yes, we, we have, and, but this is not new. And let me go way back to kind of one of the first statements you made about black paranoia, mm -hmm. right? Because I struggle with that because um, sometimes it's paranoia, but most of the time it's just reality. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk, I heard a lot of um, coined phrases this year. We're in two pandemics. Um, we live in two Americas where you have uh, racism as one pandemic on top of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. um, and if black people are paranoid, it's for good reason. Absolutely. Yeah. It's for good reason. Our U.S. government has a really solid track record of harming marginalized people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can go all the way back to slavery, but we don't have to. We can go back to the 1940s and 50s where you had um, a lot of black children who were low, you know, from low income, low socioeconomic status who were uh, put into these, uh, these um, they called asylums at the time or these psychiatric facilities. Um, and they were called feeble-minded. Mm. You know, they were they were put in there as being intellectually delayed, even though they were not allowed to learn how to read and write and all these things. And 95% of them had absolutely no delay. But that's who the U.S. government was testing things out on. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the Tuskegee experiment, which I tell you, every time we talk about a vaccine... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it comes up. Okay, the greatest but, hits. Okay, it's like a uh, silent night by the OJs like crazy. Uh, <laughs> we go talk about that Tuskegee experiment. But, you know, let's break it down. It, it, it's real. It happened. It was the it was perpetrated by the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just put it all on the table. Um, and the it wasn't really over, I think, until like 1974 or something like that. That's not that long ago. Yeah. And so you have um, the folks who are the descendants of these people now who are the ones like, okay, am I going to get this vaccine? You know, this is a very different scenario because in the Tuskegee experiment, um, they were withholding treatment. And so they were giving the injection that they were, you know, being told it was penicillin, which is the cure for syphilis, um, or some of them weren't being given anything. And they weren't actually, it wasn't actually penicillin. When the, when the U.S. government and the physicians knew penicillin with one shot could treat syphilis, and that was withheld from us. And so, yes, the folks in Alabama have a, have a right to feel betrayed to feel um, confused, to still be angry. And until the United States makes reparation for the things that they have done to the black community, we are always going to revisit these wrongs because it has created a mistrust that has never been corrected. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
But with that being said, this is a very different scenario. The COVID-19 vaccine had 40,000 trial participants through Pfizer. Um, nine, about 9,000 of them were African-American and the rest of them were white, mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, with a few other minority groups. Um, it was released in the UK first to thousands of people. Then we got it here. So, you know, it's crazy because you see these images on CNN of black people over and over and getting the vaccine first, but we were not the first to get this vaccine. Mm -hmm. And it's not a vaccine they're only giving to us. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, yeah. So I get the mistrust. I do. I, you know, I, I speak and research on maternal mortality in black women. We're still dying at alarming rates. I get the mistrust. It is not, uh, it, it, or I'll put it like this, it has been rightfully earned. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, we are dying in droves. We are filling up the ICU in droves. African-Americans and Hispanic Latinos are filling up these ICUs in all of our major cities. And this vaccine is going to be one of the keys that we have to use to get out of this pandemic. Yeah. Um, again, again, <laughs> again, you're Period. not, again, you're not a virologist, but you know, you're, yeah. you're in the front lines of being in the hospital. You see people, you, you're, mm -hmm. you're with people on a regular basis from, from just a medical perspective, how, mm -hmm. um, from a hospital perspective, how, stressed out are these hospital beds and ICUs that you're seeing in the area that you're in in South Carolina? So um, we're not the worst in the country. Mm -hmm. um, I think that goes to Houston right now um, and El Paso who are just like filled to the brims, Los Angeles filled to the brims. Um, but we are, it's coming in waves and there are more cases. The cases are starting to surge again. Yeah. Um, you know, we were expecting this because it's now winter, it's flu season. Um, and so the numbers are going up and there are more numbers and more deaths now hitting records every day than there were in March when we were in lockdown. So, um, yeah, it's, we're stressed, we're stretched. Um, and then there's just this baseline level of anxiety. Like I said, everybody you come into contact with has COVID until proven otherwise. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And so we are trying to, you know, thankfully our hospital has been great um, with supplying us with PPE, um, which of, that was a shortage in the beginning and we have more of that now. Um, so we're doing the best we can to protect ourselves, but it's a looming th fear. Um, you know, every day, I'll be honest with you, every day I'm hearing of another physician I know um, or another healthcare worker that I personally know that is contracting COVID. Mm. So for me, um, I, I ran to get that vaccine. Matter of fact, I'll be honest with you. My appointment wasn't until next week coming up mm -hmm. and I went in there. My appointment was supposed to be on Tuesday. What was that? December 22nd. Uh -huh. <laughs> I took myself up in there on Friday and was like, hi, um, I, <laughs> I know I'm four days early, but um, y'all got room in here. In oh, that, that's why you got the sixth one. That was the last one. It's like, if we got some left over, we'll Listen, give it to you. <laughs> I was like, can I get some of that? Look, scratching my neck. Like I'm gonna <laughs> y'all got some of that? Uh, <laughs> so, yes, I was ready. So let me just uh, touch on this because, I, like you said, I'm, I'm not a virologist, but I do want to give a shout out to Dr. Kismikia Corbett, mm -hmm. 
Um, she is a virologist. She's a PhD out of North Carolina, um, a black woman who basically was behind the technology and behind this vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was her team um, of researchers that put this vaccine together. Um, phenomenal job. Let me touch on this as well, because I think one of the other looming fears that I keep hearing from the general public is that they feel like this was rushed. Mm. Um, I've heard Tuskegee. I've heard this vaccine happened too fast. I've heard I'm not going to be a guinea pig. Um, I've heard it can make, you know, it can make you sick because the flu shot makes me sick. So let me just kind of dispel a couple of those if you if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, the vaccine was not rushed. Um, I kind of hate that the administration called it Operation Warp Speed because that makes it sound like it was rushed, yeah. but it wasn't. The technology that was used was developed almost 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So this is where you can take a piece of the virus called mRNA, stands for messenger RNA. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a protein on the virus um, that basically codes for the rest of the protein to be made um, to create this virus. And so what they did was through in, like technology that will blow your mind, um, they are able to look at these viral pieces in, in like 3D um, models and they were actually able to separate the mRNA from the COVID-19 virus. Wow. So what this means, so if you think of a door, if you think of your, your cells in your body as a door, you can think of mRNA kind of as a key. Mm-hmm. So if they take this piece of mRNA and they put it in the vaccine. When they inject it into the body, it then codes, because it holds this DNA code for the whole virus, it codes for a piece of the COVID-19 virus. So your body actually makes a piece of the COVID-19 virus itself. Mm -hmm. So here's what used to happen. So uh, let's go back to the first, the first vaccine ever. Um, They figured out how to take a little piece of the virus or a small amount. It wasn't a piece of the virus. It was a small amount. So like polio, for example, Mm -hmm. They found out how to take a small amount of polio, inactivate it, which was basically heat it up or kill it somehow, and they injected the actual virus into the body so that your immune system makes the antibodies, okay? Mm -hmm. So up until 30 years ago, that's how we were making vaccines, where you had to have some of the virus go into you. Yeah, it's like the anti-venom has the venom in it, actually. It's the type of idea. Yeah. And so I think that's the fear that people are like, oh, you're not going to inject me with a piece of COVID-19, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not actually the virus itself. It's a particle of the virus that holds the DNA for what we call the spike protein. So again, they take the mRNA, put it in the vaccine, they inject it in. Once it gets in the body, the body's DNA and kind of protein, mitochondria, all that from biology class, (laughs) (laughs) that starts to transcribe the mRNA. And the mRNA makes thousands and millions of copies of the spike protein. So remember, mRNA makes the spike protein. And the spike protein is the key that unlocks the door to the cells. So if 
I get COVID-19 in my body, it can't actually uh, infect my cells and go into the cells, like in through that door, unless it has the spike protein to attach to. Mm-hmm. So what happens is this vaccine makes all of these spike proteins and then your body recognizes that as foreign and makes all these antibodies to the spike protein so that in 42 days or however long, I think it's 21 to 42 days, you you build immunity. If I come into contact with COVID-19 and I inhale it, Mm -hmm. the thought process is that I now have enough antibodies to it to that specific spike protein that when the COVID-19 virus tries to land on my cells, it is blocked from using that spike protein as the key to unlock the door to dip itself down into my cells. Wow. It's the most, I'm a nerd. Like, I'm a bird. I'm I'm saying, though, but you Bill Nye the hell out of it, like, to the point where (laughs) I understood it. I was like, I I definitely understood it. Wow. So it's really cool because the flu shot that we get every year and several other vaccines are have for the last two decades have basically been made using this process where you don't have to take that live virus and mm-hmm. inject it. You can use a tiny piece of it that turns your body into a antigen producing machine mm-hmm. and then you're immune system response to that producing antibodies and so the next time you see it you will be ready um which is the which is the whole process of prevention vaccination circling back to the beginning giving it to you while you're healthy so when you encounter it again you have that immune response ready wow so I guess this is probably the better question, right? Because it's, there's certain countries. I think New Zealand hasn't had one new uh, COVID case. I'm not sure in how long, but they're basically like we're COVID free as a country. Um, mm-hmm. And and again, I think what we talked about before, as far as like there need to be a mandate. Look, and I don't understand the the. It's like even if someone is like an anti-masker, right? And mm-hmm. and they and they're politicizing it. I don't care if they politicize their mask. Just fucking wear one, right? Like you can, you can have a MAGA mask all you want. You can have a mask. Put a mask on that say "Build the it's Wall." It's not MAGA anymore, Breach. It's not MAGA. What is it now? I had a patient the other day who had a mask <laughs> on that said um, "Trump 2020, Keep America Great." Hey, go for it. So it's CAGA now. As long as on a mask, but that's but that's the point that that, that kills me. Right, right, right. <laughs> that kills so me. It's your mask while you're wearing it. So Yo, it's you a, from your spit. You can make <laughs> make fun of it, right? Just be like, hey, the libertards want me to wear a mask. Here's my mask. Like, I don't give a fuck at this point, right. you know. And and somebody like Trump that needs to make money. Why don't you profit off of that? Why don't you Why don't you get those yeah. masks made in China? Get those masks generated in China and 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 yeah. and, and sell the mask, making fun of wearing masks like go for it and at the end he's like to be a billionaire he literally missed out on like a whole merch line absolutely it's like dude man like come on and and so that part about it just drives me crazy where where what's really frustrating is i feel like trump can just simply just say publicly put a mask on to make fun of them or whatever he has that power and and what i say is the issue the issue is this for me that i see um that happens and a lot of it is happening in a lot of the, you know, uh, and this isn't a political statement. This is a real statement where a lot of the Republican states are having the, their COVID numbers go up because there's this idea of, you know, there's a, 
A, instead of it being a federal thing, um, Trump is saying, well, you know, this is a state issue. Let the states make a decision on it. And that's not that doesn't really work because you're always going to have this mismatched approach to how to handle it. And that's how the numbers aren't going to go down. So hopefully um, in the next couple of months, there's going to be a national mask mandate. And then we'll have, you know, yeah. hopefully, you know, after the different tiers, because I definitely agree that um, that essential workers, people in the medical field need to be able to get the vaccine first. My question yeah. would be, if we did that, if we had a national mandate for masks and we have the vaccine, when do you see things becoming close to normal where you can see a big crowd and not cringe? Mm hmm. I don't know if I'm ever going to be comfortable. I look at old pictures now and I'm like, oh my God, people <laughs> all breathing each other's air. Like, I, I, can't watch, I can't watch a TV show. Like if I watch a TV show that, that they clearly filmed before COVID, I yeah. look at it like, yo, what the fuck? Why are you so close to her? You know what I mean? Like, right. it, you know, my brain is totally changed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm, you know, I don't really necessarily, I'm not an expert epi- epidemiologist, so I struggle with kind of giving a hard deadline, but um, I have seen information saying that they're hoping to have the vaccines out to the general public by June of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said before, it takes anywhere from um, three to six weeks to develop the antibodies and immunity. Um, and then, you know, it, then you have to think about the process of herd immunity. Mm-hmm. So that means enough people have to get it to protect those who don't. Wow. Um, And so the question is good that I am looking forward to seeing, because I think, you know, like you said, we've already got the answer about mask mandates. We didn't have them. We're probably going to have them. Okay, we're probably going to see some more shutdowns. You know, some of the states are going back into phases where they're shutting down the indoor dining and all that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would say, though, that what I what I don't know as far as how it's going to go down on political lines is the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Who is going to take it? Who's not? And are we going to reach the numbers that are high enough at one given time um, that we develop herd immunity? Mm -hmm. Um, And I will say, I think it's upward of of maybe 70 to 80 percent of people have to take it in order to get there. Um, So I'm hoping and praying that we can overcome our fears that enough people will get the vaccine and have, you know, no outlandish reactions and people start to trust the process more. But I'll be honest with you, a year from now, I don't know that we'll necessarily be out of the woods. I don't think so either. Um, I think we'll have a little bit more mobility and we'll probably be able to figure out a couple more gatherings. And, you know, if you know your whole family got vaccinated or something like that. But as far as concerts and clubs and just saying, okay, this is a thing of the past, I think we'll probably be looking into 2022. Yeah, I I think the same thing. Um, So I guess my final question, because I I know you have a lot to do. Um, One of the things that I thought was really, really frustrating, and this is why I really wanted you to be on here, is is that even though um, there's different um, fields of medicine to study, I I at least want to speak to someone that can, you know, break down the whole key and door thing that I had no fucking clue about, right? One of the things that I've been really, really frustrated about is the lack of people respecting information from people that have studied it, 
right? So it's like one of the mm-hmm. things that really drove me crazy about the administration is that somehow, some way, you know, when Dr. Fauci would say something about this, who's pretty much the, the leading professional in this and that worked for, for different administrations, regardless of political um, affiliation, Right. S- somehow people stopped listening to the doctor about medical information and listen to people that had nothing to do with, <laughs> you know, like listening to politicians <laughs> right. over, over that, you know, and, and, yeah. and I would see that, you know, when, when there was an attack on essentially the press, you know, and, and, and I know I'm not like a Pulitzer Prize writer or whatever, but, but I write for, I write for newspapers and, and I think it's a, I think it's a glorious thing to do to inform the public and the right and and to see those things where the press was kind of vilified and then you see the medical field vilified and things kind of turn into this political thing. Um, what's something that you experience as someone in the medical field that are, is on the front lines that disappointed you um, when it comes to how things have happened with COVID and is there any hope that you see um, coming in the near future about um, how the public is responding to to things now. Yeah. I mean, uh, disappointment is a relative term, right? Because mm-hmm. my any given day in my office, I'm trying to make a diagnosis. And somebody's like, well, Google said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my grandma told me. WebMD. So, <laughs> right. So I don't know how used to being listened to journalists are, like, you know, such as yourself. But doctors have been being ignored for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, it kind of falls into that. Let me just say this. Uh, facts are usually not as sexy as folktales and stories and anecdotes um, and conspiracy theories. Uh, They just aren't. They are usually black and white. They're full of statistics and numbers and, you know, math. And math is just not fun. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, it's definitely sexier to believe that you know, this was uh, made as biological warfare only against people of the melanated, whatever, whatever. And like, the you know, like that's question mark, question mark, question mark. But it's easier to say, I'm going to shirk all logic here and go straight for the conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. which is something that people have done for generations and ages, completely divorced of this topic. Um, so it didn't really surprise me. Um, but I think for people like you and me that are, that want to say, listen, we have voices of influence and how do I use this voice to try to keep us on the right side of history and the right side of health? Uh, You know, the thing is to validate. The first thing you have to do is validate the experiences of the people we are serving. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like I said, when we got on this call, I said, listen, people have every right to be afraid. They have every right to be mistrustful. They have every right to ask questions because there is a track record that's muddy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Validate that. Say, yes, I am right there with you. It is scary. We don't know a lot about this virus. We don't know a whole lot about this vaccine except that Um, You know, we know that it's safe. We know the production has been proven. Um, We don't necessarily know how long it's going to provide immunity. We don't know if we're going to have to get a COVID-19 vaccine every year like we have to get a flu shot every year. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Validate that we don't know it all. And we're not trying to be paternalistic in saying, um, 
this is the right way. This is the only way we know 100% of everything. No, we don't. But we know enough to say it's safe to get this vaccine. We think it will actually help you because it's 94 to 95% efficacious from the 40, almost 50,000 people studied. The adverse reactions are no different than what's happening in the general population on any given day. Um, So, but like, validate, validate, validate. I know you're scared. I know you've heard things that don't sound like what I'm telling you. I know grandma doesn't trust it. I know no doctor has ever listened to grandma when she's gone and talked to them about her concerns. I know you've been invalidated as a people for a really long time. And also we are making strides to be different and to make change and to, you know, uplift the black woman researcher who made this vaccine and to show as black professionals that we're getting the vaccine and it's okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And just hit them with facts, even when it comes to things like going back to this vaccine was rushed. You know, people are like, well, I've heard, I see memes on, on Instagram. Um, well, they don't have a cure for AIDS and a cure for cancer, but they find a coronavirus vaccine in two days. You know what I mean? <laughs> the reality is that all vaccines are made this fast. Usually what the holdup is, is the marketing and the production that it has to go through and the distribution channels and um, the contracts for who's going to pay for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The federal government came in and paid for all of our vaccines. Yeah, <laughs> so and that's and the, have, yeah, that's that's yeah, what I was going to say. They didn't have to put it on TV. They didn't have to go through. So that's why it w- it was able to be made and go to trial so quickly because the government cut out the middleman. Absolutely. So you hit them with facts, but you hit them with love, with compassion, with validation. You know, um, when I'm seeing people spreading conspiracy theories on my timelines. I'm like, sis, I know that we have a sordid past with this country. And also, not only do you have a right to feel this way, but let's, let me give you the facts that I know from my expertise so that you can really sit with how you want to use your voice because you might be using your voice to continue to perpetuate the harm that you say has already been done to us. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes we have to get real and have that conversation that, yes, we should be informed about Tuskegee. And yes, we should be informed about some of these other experiments and these uh, atrocities, these travesties that have been um, perpetuated against us. But let's look at all of the laws that we have in place so that that doesn't happen anymore. And the government institutes such as the NIH. Um, and these oversight committees and these oversight bodies and the institutional review boards that have to be um, passed through if you want to do any research experiment, the protocols that have been placed to make sure that clinical trials don't test on people who can't consent for themselves, people who are in prison, who don't have their own emancipated voice, pregnant women, children who can't consent for themselves. None of those people were included in this vaccine trial because of laws that were created from things like the Tuskegee experiment. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So we have done some things to rectify the past. And the U.S. government has put a lot of things in place to make sure that we're not crossing those lines as, we, as we've as we done historically. So if we're going to talk about 
the injustices, let's talk about some of the justice that has been served to protect us and give us the reassurance that this coronavirus vaccine is not meant to make guinea pigs out of black people because it absolutely is not. And if we're going to use our voices and be social media influencers, let's be responsible and let's do it the right way. Otherwise, we are perpetuating the harm that we are accusing other people of doing. Wow. I think... um... I think that's all we need to say. Uh, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I get passionate. I get passionate. Well, um, cause, could you please tell uh, our listeners where they can find out more of the great stuff that you're doing, more information, if they want to follow um, some of your work, some of your writing, some of your um, outreach work. Could you give us your information once again? Yes, absolutely. Um, you guys can find me at Dr. Carrie MD on all the social media outlets. That's D R K A R I M D. Um, hit me up. I will follow you back and um, answer your messages in the DM and all that good stuff. And you can find me at um, www.drcarriemd.com. Um, so you can learn more about me there. And I'm around. I'm out and about on the community. I'm on social media. I'm at the hospital seeing patients. Um, so get at me. I love the interaction. And if any anybody has any other questions let me know um i will be posting daily updates for the next probably three or four days on how i'm feeling um i posted one 24 hours after getting the vaccine on friday so i made my first post today about my update and how i'm feeling so if anybody has any questions i know i have a lot of teacher friends who um really want the vaccine because they're you know out in the community with the kids every day um and i've had a lot of people hit me up like hey i'm a teacher i i think i'm gonna want the vaccine but i'm kind of scared can you tell me exactly um what your experience has been and i'm chronicling this whole process so Follow my social media, um, Facebook, IG, Snapchat, all the things. I'm Dr. Carrie MD, and um, I will let you guys know how I'm feeling. My second dose is going to be on January 14th. All right. Well, so I've heard the second dose was a little more of a doozy um, that some people have gotten um, kind of like a stuffy nose, headache, maybe a little fever or something like that. Um, from the second dose more so than the first one. Um, so I'll definitely be honest with you guys about what I'm experiencing. Um, won't sugarcoat anything. Um, and I do know some people who got a fever and kind of just didn't feel well after the first dose as well. Um, but again, that's very few people out of all the stories I've heard of. Um, and that's what happens when your immune system reacts. So that's probably not a bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Because they're, you know, they're mounting that response. So um, overall, I've heard really positive things, sore arms for about a day, and then it goes away. Um, and if there's anything else that I experience, um, you guys will be the first to know. Well, I need you February the 26th, which is going to be the next time I have one of those uh, those conversations. I think I was telling you about it, and I'm going to mention the first one um, now as I log off here. So basically, uh, if you guys are in the Columbia, South Carolina area, um, I'm going to do an event called With Preach Jacobs, where basically if you guys listen to the Negro League podcast where I have amazing conversations with dope-ass motherfuckers like this young lady on the phone now, um, I wanted to do an event where we just speak to amazing people. So the first one is going to be January the 15th at Trusted Theater in Columbia, South Carolina. It's going to be limited numbers. It's going to be a massive event. 
event. And essentially the show is basically two chairs on a stage and I'm having a conversation. Um, and so the the first one, we're going to have uh, hip hop artist and activist Benny Starr from Charleston, South Carolina and Falami Jeter, um, an amazing, amazing woman that runs uh, pretty much the, the greatest um, <laughs> vegan restaurant I've ever had. Listen, if you guys haven't been to a piece of soul vegan kitchen, they have when when the whole uh, chicken sandwich wars are going on with Popeyes. They have the most amazing chicken sandwich I've ever had, and it ain't even meat. So I'm going to speak to those two amazing people January the 15th. The next one that we're planning right now is going to be February the 26th, and I want you to be one of the people that I talk to. So you know, let your people talk to my people. Put me on your schedule. All that good stuff. Let's make it happen. And um, and I would love to talk to you more about your experiences with this because your voice have been has been very very helpful with this pod, and I hope. Um, people get to hear it and and kind of dispel some of the myths out there and take this damn vaccine if they have access to it. Um, thank you so very much. Uh, I think this is going to be it. We're about to talk about an hour, so I think that's good enough. Um, once again, I go by the name of Preach Jacobs. This is the Negro League Podcast. We are sponsored by Mo Better Soul Clothing. Go to MoBetterSoul.com. Enter code NEGRO to save 10% on your next order. Uh, this is the last time I talk to you guys before January 1st. Please, guys, have a happy holidays. Be safe. Um, and all that good stuff, making it to 2021 alive. We love you all. Peace. I'll be